gift. All right, flip your bulletins uh, back over, and on the front side is just some, some material for you to follow uh, along. You'll notice I'll have four points, and so you'll know when I get to the third point that I'm wrapping it up, and usually my closing is, you know, an hour. And so uh, today we're starting a new series called The Last Word. If you've never been to church before, we typically talk through series so that you kind of know and can keep up with where we're going. And so today we, we decided let's start a new one because we're going to have a lot of new faces. And so I want to talk to you uh, about this concept of, of the, last, the last word. We're all friends in this place. We're not on first name basis, but my name's Steve uh, Dufresne. I'm 35 years old, regrettably. And uh, I was born in Boyertown or lived in Boyertown my whole life, born in Pittsburgh. I'm Steve, and so now you know me well. Why don't you guys introduce yourself to me on the count of three? One, two, three. Everybody tell your name. One, two, three. Okay, so now we're all friends in this place. First name, basis, all really comfortable with each other. Everybody can kind of relax. Just so you know, I'm a normal person. I have different struggles and, and bad habits in my life. I've told you before, one of my worst habits is, is I don't like to get the, that thick, callous skin on the bottom of my feet. You know what I'm talking about? On your big toe and right below your big toe. And so occasionally, I have a party with my feet at nighttime, and I'll get the, the, big, the big nail, like the toenail clippers out. Not the little one. The big one, you know what I'm talking about? You get the big one out, and I clip the bottom of my, my, my feet off, and I might throw it under the bed. I'm just saying I might, I might do that. I got, I got some bad habits, but we're all friends, so it's okay, right? And so I got some other bad habits. I bite my nails in my car, not my toenails because I can't reach her. I probably would, but I bite my, my nails in my car, and I spit them on the, on the passenger floorboard which always makes for good, awkward conversation when somebody gets in your, your, your car and they ask, what are these, are these nails? And you say, yeah, they are. They haven't, they haven't you know, decomposed yet, and so they're just over there. <laughs> Sometimes in my car I have do other bad things like, you know, pick my nose and wipe it under my, my seat because it's closest. And so, and anybody who's judging me, we're not friends because you know you do it as well. If you just drive long enough, you're going to see somebody Go see somebody doing that. Other bad habits I have since we're all friends in this place is I run the water for about, you know, an hour before I get in the shower uh, because I like it to, to steam up and I like the sound when I'm brushing my teeth and I just like to run the water. I know that there's, uh, there's people in all over the world that don't have water and I'm, I'm a sinner, but I still, I, I, I do that. I got bad habits. And so another bad habit that I have is, is I prefer to get the last word. You, know, you ever have, you married in this place and you have a conversation with your wife and they get, they get all the words in the conversation, but you get the last word. So they, she'll tell you and what's up and, you know, tell you all the things that need, you need to do to fix yourself and all that stuff and she'll walk away and you never say the last word to your, your spouse's face because you're scared of them, but when they walk away, you'll be like, you're whatever, <laughs> you don't know me, you know, what, Nothing. I said, you're beautiful and you're completely right. Or you'd be like, I wasn't even listening to you. I can't even hear you right now. And sadly enough, sometimes your, your sins get passed on to your kids. You ever been there? So now my kids have a problem with always wanting to get the last word. You ever been there with a parent? You're like, you're like, sit there and shut your mouth and don't say another word. And they're like, but you're wrong, right? And you're like, no, don't say another word. But you know, you don't. You don't understand what I'm trying to say. You just don't, you stop, stop it. And they have a problem with getting the last word. I want to talk to you about the last word. Words are really powerful in our lives. You know the average person will speak 860 
million words in their lifetime. Which means the average person will also hear billions of words probably. If you're speaking 860 and everybody else is speaking 860, that means you're hearing many, many words. And so when I talk about the last word in your life, I'm not talking about the literal the last word, like the word that's spoken to you last in your life. What I'm talking about is the word that's been spoken over your life that sticks with you the longest and impacts you the deepest. Like when we did these pictures and, and just asked people, you know, what, what are some words that have stuck with you? And just seeing some of the words that people said to one of the young teenagers that just said, said forgotten on it. It was devastating to read those. One of them said incapable. You know, one of them said loser. I mean, they said all different sorts of different things. Things that I don't even want to say from up on this stage. If I'm going to get a bad email from somebody. But the last word in your life is not the one spoken to you numerically last. It's the one that has impacted you the deepest. 860 million words will be spoken over our lifetime. But we know that there's certain words that are spoken in 10 seconds but impact 10 years. There's certain words that have been spoken over your life that you just can't get by. I believe that's the way that, that sin has designed us to be without Christ is we're just going to be receivers of words because without God we can't define ourselves with purpose and meaning and so we have to be defined by other people and what happens is we put what we should be putting in God's hands in somebody else's. And they're allowed to have power and authority over us and here is the good news of what I believe that we're going to talk about for the next few weeks with you, is the most important thing in your life is to understand that what God says about you, I believe can be greater than anything that's ever been said to you. And here's what's so cool about what God says about you. He doesn't say it from heaven. That's, that's, that's religion. You got a God, we, some of us can agree in this place, there's, there's a God, we don't really know much about him. Some of you, you're just on, you know, team no God. And, and I hope by maybe the end of the day, you start to maybe have your mind open up. But some of you, you're going, I think there's a God. I don't think I came from, from nothing over nothing over time equals nothing. Like, I think there was, there was a creator, and I, and I think that, I, that there's a God, but I'm not quite sure what type of God that is. And so some of us come to the understanding that, that there is a God, and if there is a God, we know who we are. He must be mad at us, so we have to get to, to God. But the way that God spoke to us was through his Son. Like if you're ever confused about who God is, if you ever don't know that God is love, and you ever don't know that, that God is ultimately could be a judge over us, but, but he's been the judge for us, like he's come to us, then you can just read about, about Jesus. In the book of Hebrew it says this, it says in the past that God would often speak through prophets and, and people like that, but it says in verse number one of, of Hebrews one, but he says, but in these last days, God speaks to us through his son. In other words... He doesn't yell from heaven. He shows us through his son's life. If you want to understand God, get to know Jesus. And I think when you get to know Jesus, that he could ultimately change your life. I did what any really good, positive father did on Good Friday, and I allowed my kids to watch The Passion of the Christ. Now, my kids are seven and five, and if you ever watch The Passion of the Christ, it's, it's a horror movie. I mean, it, it literally, some of you, you won't watch it because you... you you will feel bad about what, what you did to Jesus. And so some of you just have a hard time with it. But I want my kids to know that, that I get it. You know, Easter, there's a bunny and there's chocolate and there's eggs. But Easter's about Jesus. In fact, all we do is about Jesus. And so I called my wife up and I asked her, I said, is it okay if me and, and Carter, who's seven, and Lincoln, who's five, is it okay if they watch The Passion of the Christ? And she said, it's okay. But because I like to get the last word, I was like, yeah, it better be okay. And I hung up. 
And I said, boys, daddy said we can watch the Passion of the Christ. And so we started watching the Passion of the Christ. And, and my kids, they, they have this, this, this belief that if it's not in not English, it has, to be, it has to be Spanish, right? And so no matter what the language is, it's always, it's always Spanish. And so if you ever watch the Passion of the Christ, it's not in Spanish, it's in Aramaic. So they started watching it, and it was the first scene, Jesus in the garden, and he's praying and crying out, and I can read it because I'm 35, and so, but my son, Carter and Lincoln, they're like, we can't read it, it's in Spanish, and Lincoln, he has this real high voice, and he, he's very judgmental, and he needs a savior, and so we've been at the park before, and there's been somebody that has a little bit different color skin than him, and, and I'll say, go talk to that little boy, or go hang out with that little girl, they want to play with you, and he'll say, I can't because they speak Spanish, and I say... I say, just because they look different doesn't mean they talk different. This is America, son. This is the melting pot. Like, so Lincoln is like, it's, it's Spanish. I can't understand it. And Carter is saying he can't read it. He's learning how to read, but he can't read it. And I said, I said, just watch. You'll get the point. You'll understand what's going on. If I can introduce you to Jesus, maybe you don't know anything about him, but, but what I would say is, is just, let's just watch. And maybe when you watch or maybe when you listen and you hear of the love of, of God, that the message of his, of his words, which is actually about his son, will, will change your life forever. And what he says about you will become greater than anything that's ever been said, ever, ever been said to you. That Jesus can get the last word in your life. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Luke uh, chapter 23. I want to drop you into the trial of Jesus. So Jesus is in a garden. If you've watched the Passion, you know he's praying, he's sweating, drops of blood, he's under the condemnation that we were supposed to be under. He's going to receive the death penalty. He's going to hang on a cross. He's a Jewish man, and so he would have been very familiar with the cross. There's been times that crosses would have lined the Roman roads that he would walk on, and so he was very familiar with, with the death he was about to face. It was the worst death that any, anyone has ever come up with. In fact, when they say the word excruciating, you ever said that? This pain is excruciating. What you're saying is that word was invented because of the pain of the cross. So what you're saying is this pain is as bad as the cross. It's excruciating. He knows the father is about to turn his back on him and treat him like sin needs to be treated. And then Judas, one of his 12 disciples, comes and he betrays Jesus for 30 silver pieces. The temple guards come and get him to take him to the, to the religious leaders. They, they put him under trial in secret at nighttime because they, it was illegal to do that. They come up with this plot to kill Jesus. They know they can't put Jesus on a cross without the Romans. So they take Jesus to Pilate, who we're going to read about in this story. In verse number 13, it says, Pilate, he called back the chief priest, the rulers and the people, and he says to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I haven't found any reason or basis to charge him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him, and then I will release him. Can't find anything wrong with this man you're trying to tell me needs to die. I can't find any, any reason to kill him, so I'm not going to. I'm going to release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. If you read the Bible quickly, you'll miss significant people in it. This story has two characters besides Pilate and Herod, who I don't want to talk about. It has Jesus, who we're going to focus on, and it has a man named Barabbas. And here's what we know about Barabbas from Scripture. Barabbas was in prison because he started an insurrection, he was a rebellious man, and he murdered somebody. You also find out in the book of Mark, not only was he a murderer, he was a robber and a thief. He was a bad man. 
So here stands Jesus. They can't find any reason to condemn him. And here's Barabbas. And he's done everything wrong. And the Bible says they say, release Barabbas to us. And wanting to release Jesus, Pilate again said to them, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For a third time he spoke up, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found no grounds for, death, for the death penalty. Therefore I will punish him and I'm going to release him. But the loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed, so Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, and the one that hadn't done anything, he surrendered to their will. You ever read a story or watch a movie and you put yourself in the wrong position? Like, I don't know if the notebook is still relevant, but when I watch the notebook, I'm always Ryan Gosling. Right? Like, this is who you are. You watch Rocky, you know, I told you I talk about Rocky often. You're never Apollo or, or the Russian, right? You're never Thunderlips or, who, or Mr. T or whoever else is in. You're always Rocky. Like at the end, you always conquer. You watch the new superhero movies, Superman, Batman, Avengers. You're always one of them. You're never Loki. You know, you don't, like, no kid is like, I want to be Loki. Like, and if you don't know what that is, it's because you don't, never watch the movie. And so Loki's the bad guy. You're always the good guy. Like if I read a, I read a story, I'm, I'm the good guy. If I read the Bible, if I read about David and Goliath, if you don't know anything about David and Goliath, David is a young boy. He kills a giant. He throws a stone, hits him right in the middle of the head. He kills him. Everybody that was scared, all these men that were scared of Goliath, they then conquer the Philistines because David kills Goliath. I'm always David. I'm never the scared people in the background crying out for help, letting the little boy handle the giant. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the big man. I'm David. I'm throwing the stone. I'm hitting the guy, right? You ever read Daniel in the lion's den in the Bible? Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. I'm never the cowards who stop praying because their life is at risk. I'm Daniel. I'm willing to go to the lion's den. I'm always, I'm always the good guy. And sometimes when you read the Bible, you, 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 you put yourself in the wrong position. You see, you read this story, and you can't really relate. You think with Barabbas because you hear he's a, a murderer and he's rebellious. And you look at yourself and you go, I'm a lot better than him. See, here's one thing we can all agree on as we read this story, is Barabbas is guilty. The list goes, goes like this, murderer, thief, robber, same thing, rebellious. Those are the four things we know about him, and he only gets two lines in the Bible. So listen, if somebody's writing a, a sentence about your life, and in two sentences or in a couple statements you get that much wrong with you, you're a bad dude. Like, if I was that bad, I would hope I would have some good in there. He, he's a murderer and he's rebellious, but he, he was a heck of a dad. Like, give him something good. He gets nothing good. So we could all agree in this place that, that Barabbas is, is guilty. He deserves what he's getting. He deserves where he's going. He deserves how his life's going to end. We are, we are all fully aware that he is, he is guilty. What I would tell you about Barabbas and what you need to understand about the Bible is Barabbas is you and Barabbas is me. That I know you don't think you're, you're that bad, but the problem with your life is you always compare who you are to somebody that's worse than who you are. I do this all the time. God, I know that I've, I've lied a couple times in my life, and I know when, when I was 13 I got caught stealing at Dorney Park. I remember that whole instance when the, the, the security guard grabbed my shoulder and they took me to the, the, the booth and then over the last week, Mr. and Mrs. Dufresne, your son stole from the thing. I remember that. I mean, I had a life of crime. 
There's a market called DNS. I don't know if he's ever been to our church before in, in, in Bartow, and I stole plenty of things like that. I'm pretty sure that, that I had a hand in putting that guy out of business. I've prayed many nights to ask God for the grace. I was 13 years old. I've done some stuff in my life. I'm fully aware of that, but what I'll do is I'll go, I know I stole and I know I did it, but I've paid my time, and I am much better than Osama bin Laden. Like, the, the problem is, you're always comparing yourself to somebody worse than you. And what we do is we play that game with God. God, I know that I've done some wrong, but I'm not as wrong as this person. There was a young man named Jake, 16-year-old boy. And one day he cleaned up his room and he left a letter for his dad. And he, and he got out of the house. And you know if you have a teenager and the room is cleaned without you asking, they've done something wrong. Some of you teenagers are like, why'd you just tell them? Why'd you tell them that? They know they're onto my game now. So Jake leaves his dad a note, his dad finds a note, and this is what the note said, Dear Dad, it's with great regret and sadness that I'm writing you, but I had to elope with my new girlfriend, Tracy, because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding some real passion with Tracy. She is so kind, but I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercings. She has six tattoos, her tight motorcycle clothes, and because she's 10 years older than I am. But it's not only the passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Tracy said that we will be very happy living together. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Not only that, but Tracy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with all the other people in the commune for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, we'll pray that science finds a cure for AIDS so that Tracy can get better. She sure deserves it. So don't worry, I'm 16 and I know how to take care of myself, Dad. Someday, I'm sure I'll come back to visit so you can meet all your grandchildren. Love your son, Jake. And at the bottom letter, it says, P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I went with Todd to Target to get some video games. I just want to remind you that there are worse things in life than the school report card that's on the kitchen table. Call me when it's safe to come home. I mean, don't we do that? We're going to come in, we're going to come into God's presence. He's perfect. He's God. He's got it all figured out. The Bible says he's a righteous judge. He's holy and just. And we'll come into his presence and we'll play this game. Because look, at the end of your life, it's just you and God. That's it. You can, you can talk about all the bad things that have happened to you and been said about you. But when you get in God's presence, all of the voices are silence except for yours. And you're going to get judged by God. And the truth is, if you are real with yourself and I'm real with myself, I realize real quick that I'm guilty. If you're not guilty, why do you carry so much shame around with you? If you're not guilty, why do you sin in hiding? If, if you're not guilty, why are there secrets that you keep from everybody else thinking no one sees it? Not being aware that God is, is sovereign. He's everywhere. He sees everything. He knows everything. He reads every thought. He's a big God. That's what the Bible says. Listen, listen to this verse. It's, 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 it's so judgmental. Watch this. As it is written, there was no one righteous. Not even one. Like we all in this together. That's what the Bible says. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Some of you are like, man, that person is super religious. No, they're not. They're not. There is no one who seeks God. 
all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Our throats are open graves. Our tongues, they practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on our lips. The mouths, our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery, they mark our ways. In the way of peace, we don't know. There is no fear of God before our eyes. Isn't that how we are? We know we're guilty, but the truth is we're not really we're that consumed with it. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth, watch this, may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. In other words, all of us stand before God and we all come with our reasons of why we've done things and we all come with our explanations of why we're better than what we are and we all compare ourselves to people that are worse than us and God goes, every one of you is in the same boat. There was no one good, not even, somebody say, man, this is a, you're a judgmental preacher. Where do we get that from? Bible says, and means people don't even know the Bible. The Bible says don't judge. That's not what the Bible means. You got to read into it a little more. I'm not judging you without hope. You are much worse than you think you are. But here's the good news. That's the judgment of your soul. That's the judgment of who you are. But the good news is Jesus is much better than you think he is. You are much worse. Jesus is much better. We'll stand back and we'll go, stop judging me. Where do we get? My son, he's seven years old. He's playing t-ball. It cost me $75. I've explained to him how to play baseball and t-ball and worked with him. I'm from Boyertown. If you don't know anything about Boyertown, the one thing you need to understand is we know baseball. We don't have anything else, but we know baseball. We have the best baseball fields. We're better than Pottstown, Potts Grove, Collegeville, Springford, ONJ, Boyertown rules, right? That's what they teach you. So I know baseball, I've been teaching Carter how to play baseball and Lincoln. And so they signed up, and the coach says, has he ever played before? And I said, no, he's never played before, but he knows the rules. He knows the game. So I've taught Carter how to throw. You step. You don't Listen, you don't step with the same hand. You throw. You step with the other leg. You throw. When you swing, you swing through the ball. When you run, you pump your arms. I taught him all this stuff. He gets to his first baseball practice. The first ball comes, and he's supposed to throw at the first base. He picks it up, and he does this little bunny thing. You ever? <laughs> I was in the dugout. I walked out. I was just like, you can't, you can't ever do that again. Never, never bunny hop to the thing. Step through. Then he gets up to bat, and the coach is like, has he ever hit? I'm like, oh, yeah, he hits. He can hit. Right? He gets up. He knows how to swing. He starts swinging, and he's doing the glorified swinging bunny. He's just, he's just hit like this, and he's making contact, but they're going a couple feet, and I'm like, swing the bat through. And then at the, end of the, at the end, we do these races where two kids start at home plate, and they run around like this. And, and I got my camera ready because I know that kids don't pay attention to where they're running. I'm thinking they're going to meet at second base. We're going to have an explosion of awesomeness, and it's going to be incredible. <laughs> so they start running around the bases, and, and Carter raced three times. He lost all three times. Not because, not because he was slow, but because he just wasn't running hard. Like, one time a kid fell and still beat Carter. <laughs> and, like, at the end of the practice, I was like, well, what, what are you doing? Like, you're not running hard. And he was like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I said, I got home, I said, boy. I spent $75, I bought you cleats, I got you a, a glove, I, we went and got a hat. It matters. You don't bunny hop, you don't bunt swing, and you run. This is what my son, seven-year-old, said. He said, stop judging me. <laughs> I almost, what, what, boy? Don't, don't you judge me. And, and what was so funny, because that's how we act, you're just judging me. Tell me I'm bad. I'm not judging you. I'm being truthful with you because I love you. You are bad. <laughs> and the funny thing is, 
you don't want to be judged. But here's the thing. Listen to what happened to Carter. About an hour later, Lincoln came up and took a ball that he had first. You know what he does? Dad, tell Lincoln to give me my ball back because I had it first. Stop judging Lincoln. <laughs> we hate judgment. We love justice. We all know about justice. You know about justice when somebody takes the car spot you had your blinker on for. You know about justice when it comes to the people that have hurt you. You know about justice when somebody takes advantage of you. We know about justice. And without, without listen, there has to be a judge if we understand and there's a more concept of, of justice. God is, is not judging you. You already are judged because you're you're guilty. Here's the next thing you need to understand about Barabbas, and maybe you'll see it in your own life, is Barabbas, his sentence is, is death. It's death. You see, when sin is in your life, it just keeps getting darker and darker and darker. And the Bible says that sin grows in our lives and it ultimately brings death. That the, the wages or the payment of our sin is death. That, that we deserve hell. It's not a very popular thing, and I never talk about hell in this church without my heart beating and skipping, and, 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 and my mind's starting to race because, because hell is a, is a scary reality. And that's the reason that we exist for those not yet here. That we want to rescue and be part of rescuing as many people from the grasp of sin, and the grasp of death, and the grasp of hell. Now, I want you to see Barabbas because maybe you're like, I don't understand all that. Barabbas is in a cell, and they're preparing a cross for him. Same way Jesus is in the garden, and he's dripping sweat, blood of drops of sweat, and he's, he's crying out to God about what he's about to go through. I think the same scene is being repeated in the cell of Barabbas because he knows he's about to die. Look, even when you know what you're going to get and you're facing death, and it's still scary and it still will humble any man, even the strongest of men, even the worst of men. So Barabbas is in his cell and he knows what's coming for him. And, and, and he's sweating drops of blood and, and he knows what he's about to face. And look, he would have he known what the cross was like. So does Jesus. He knew that nine-inch nails were going to be nailed through, the, through his palms to a piece of wood. He knew that they were going to take a stake and they were going to nail it through his feet. He knew that they would strip him naked. He knew he would probably be beaten before he ever got there so that they could get some of the life out of him. He knew that he would be mocked and ridiculed and spit upon. He knew that to hang on a, a, a cross was the lowest form of death. It was a signal that you are worth nothing. He knew they would put a little plate or a platform to them to stand for him to stand on just a little bit when his legs are are at a 40 degree angle not because they wanted to relieve his pain but because they wanted to make his pain last longer the reality is he was going to die of suffocation there's nothing scarier than facing suffocation but it coming slowly every time they pushed up their body would move 12 inches as they would try to take a breath only to have their all their muscles in their body lean back down and everything was just kind of hanging all their nerves were we're feeling the pain of the, of, the, of the nails. He knew that death was coming, and here sits this man, and he's in his cell, and he's sweating just like Jesus was because they're facing the same thing. And he deserved it. Some of you in this place, you know you're guilty. You know you have sin, and the reason you know you're guilty, you know you have sin, and you understand death, and you understand what's coming for you is because you can't get past it. It consumes your life. You feel ridiculed and shamed by it. There's an accuser, his name is Satan. He gets you to sin and then he calls you out for your sin. And you're headed towards death. And then just get this picture. The crowd starts to get loud out there. They're saying, crucify him. Crucify him. Barabbas knows it's his day to die. 
He's in a cell. He hears the Roman guard start to walk down the hallway towards his cell. He, he hears the familiar jingle of the chains. He knows what's coming for him. He has no idea the crowd is talking about Jesus right now. And they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The key slips into the keyhole. The door's unlocked. The big old wooden door, it opens up, and in comes the Roman guard. And he picks up Barabbas, and he leads Barabbas. And Barabbas knows his heart is beating. He's sweating. He knows he's going towards his death. And he gets out in front of the crowd, and all of a sudden he realizes they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But they're not shouting at him. They're shouting at Jesus. And he's standing there, and he is completely guilty. And Jesus is over here, and he is completely innocent. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps up. And the cool, one of the coolest verses of the Bible says that Jesus isn't going to die because it's against his will. But he doesn't lay down his life except for under his own accord. In other words, he wants to die. He's dying for us. He's dying for the murderer in his place. And God is about to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he can one day treat Barabbas like Jesus. Put your name there. You come out and you have a list of wrongs and you're standing where you're supposed to end up getting judged by God. You deserve death. You deserve hell. You deserve everything that's coming to you. You realize that. You realize that he is a just God. There's not going to be anybody who stands before God and has any claim of him not being just. And you know what you deserve. And for some of you, you're going to get judged according to what you've done. And you can't even remember what you did yesterday, much less go back years. But then Jesus becomes Barabbas' substitute, which means Jesus stands between the wrath of God and Barabbas. And he takes the wrath of God upon himself so that Barabbas can receive the love of God in his life. And Jesus becomes his substitute. The Bible calls him an advocate. Jesus goes to bat for us in our place, dies the death that we should have died on the cross that was named for us. Takes our place. Jesus is the substitute. So Barabbas is here and Jesus is here and all of a sudden they want to crucify Jesus. And the Bible says that Pilate washes his hands and says, do what you want. He's not guilty, and I'm not taking place in this. So do what you want. So Jesus steps in front of Barabbas, and Barabbas watches Jesus walk away. And number four, I believe Jesus, or Barabbas, he's made new. Barabbas is standing there watching as Jesus grabs the cross that had Barabbas' name on it. And he begins to carry the cross as Barabbas is just standing there, probably in shock. What just happened? What, what just happened? How did this just happen? How did an innocent man die for me and I'm a, I'm a guilty man? It just went on. And all of a sudden Jesus walks and Barabbas gets to saying Jesus dies and Barabbas gets a new lease on life. That's the gospel. The gospel is you're guilty and I'm guilty. You deserve death. I deserve death. Jesus steps in our place. Jesus allows himself to be treated like you and me, like Barabbas, so that God can treat us like Jesus. And when you come to Jesus with all of your sin, with all of your shame, with your, your death sentence, and Jesus dies in your place, all of a sudden you're made new. You're made new. You know that Jesus got the cross and he walked to, to the place where he would die, the place they, they called Skull, Golgotha, Calvary. And he would hang on the cross, and, and he would utter some words on the cross through the, 
the agony that he was facing. And one of the sentences he said was, it is, it is finished. It's a very common phrase that people spoke back in the day. It was Greek. And the Greek word I'm going to try to pronounce it is tatalasti. I'm sure I said it different in all three services. Tatalasti. It is finished. So you understand what it is? Uh, an artist would paint a picture. And only an artist knows when the picture is done. He would paint a picture and he would step back. Tatalasti. It's finished. Some of you can understand this. You, you buy stuff that you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't know on the MasterCard. The MasterCard becomes your God. You pay for something on a credit card and then you take 10 years to pay it off. And when you finally pay it off, tatalasti, my debt is finished with MasterCard. In Barabbas' case, they would, they would make a list of a thief or a robber or of a criminal's offenses. They would write them out and they would decide based on that list the penalty that they would face. So Barabbas, it would be murderer. Uh, it would be thief. It would be rebellion. It would be robber. It would be all these things. He would have this list, and here's the price you're going to pay. And the stamp that was on it was death by crucifixion. And Jesus steps in and becomes his, his substitute. And on the cross, he says, Tatalasti. It's finished. Your debt has been paid in full by my love. You are made new. And what's so interesting about the name Barabbas, it's very neat. I think God could have, set, could have saved George or could have saved Michael or could have saved a guy named Steve or John, but he saves a man named Barabbas. It's the only time in Scripture that there's a man named Barabbas. And the word Barabbas, if you go back and study, if you Google it, means son of the father. The son of the father the only begotten son, would step in the, the place of a murderer so that he could become a son of the father. You're guilty. You're much worse than you think you are. Jesus is much better than you think he is. He dies in your place for your sins. And here's the thing as we close. We don't know what happens to Barabbas. He doesn't get any more any more time in the Bible? There's not like a story, a book about Barabbas, the murderer that gets set free by Jesus and he starts this big church in, in Jerusalem. Some, we don't know anything else about Barabbas. So in my head, what I think is, is this man was saved by Jesus. He watched Jesus die on his cross. He witnessed it. So in my head, I hope that he's one of the 120 that are in the, the, the book of Acts in the upper room, and he's part of the greatest movement that this world has ever known in a room with tax collectors and ex-fishermen and, and a murderer, that, another murderer who would be involved in the greatest movement this world has ever known. And I'm praying that he's there, and I'm believing that he's there, and he is able to say, I was on death row, and Jesus died on my cross. And if Jesus can die for me, if he can tatalasti my life, cancel out my debt, he can cancel out your debt as well. And he goes on to preach and do all this stuff. But my fear is that that's not what happened. That's too significant of a story for, for him to not be talked about some more. That's too powerful of a testimony. I think maybe what happened is he watched Jesus die for him. And it didn't change him. And he went back to his old way of life. He missed it. And some of you say, how can he do that? He crossed paths with Jesus. He rubbed shoulders with Jesus. He watched Jesus die for him. My question is, how can you do that? How can you know, live one more moment, knowing what Jesus has done for you, not giving him your life today? 
not following him. He didn't die and come here and do all the stuff that he did so that you could be a fan of him. I come to church on Easter. I come to church on Christmas. I do the things I'm supposed to do. I, I dressed up today. Isn't he happy? You rub shoulders with Jesus and you just keep, you just keep walking. He didn't ask you to be a fan. He wants you to be his follower, his fully devoted follower of Christ. And that comes from you lay down, laying down your life at the foot of the cross and taking up the life that he has designed for you, the good life, the purposeful life, the life of love and grace and mercy. Would you stand with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? You're much worse than you think you are. That's the bad news. Good news is Jesus is much better than you give him credit for. That I'm not sure who you are. I know that we play, that we're on first name basis, but I know that I don't know most of you in this place beyond seeing you at church or shaking your hand or giving you a high five. Maybe I've never met you before, but I do know this about you. There's a God that created you and loved you at all three of our campuses. And he set up this unique opportunity for your past to cross. The same way Barabbas is standing, you're standing today. You're not just a victim. You can play the victim card for the rest of your life. You can say, I'm the reason I am because people have said stuff about you. But the truth is, that although you were wrong, that you're also wrong. Although you were sinned against, that you've also sinned against God. And that you will give an account of your actions one day. And you're guilty. And you know you are. And you stand before a just God. And your judgment, your verdict is going to be guilty. And because God is holy, righteous, and just, he'll have to turn his back on you. And the words in the Bible that are very real that we don't ever want anybody to hear is, depart from me, for I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. But the good news is you don't ever have to hear those words. That although you deserve death, that God could have stayed up in heaven and let you die in your sins, but he came to this earth, his son, fully God, fully man, and he took your place. He died the death you should have died, and he spoke over your life. It is finished. It's been paid in full. I don't care who you are, and I don't care what you've done. I am only concerned with where you're going right now. And I believe that your list can be a mile long, but your worst is outdone by God's best. Your worst is outdone by God's best. You are much worse than you think you are, but God is much better. That the Bible is full of murderers and prostitutes and tax collectors and the lowest of low. The Bible says that God, he uses the weak of this world to confound the wise. That we don't sing today about who we are and we don't rejoice in our love for God, but we only sing about who he is and rejoice about the love he has for us. And I consider you my friend because I know how God feels about you. And I know he doesn't want you to go one more day, one more moment without having a relationship with him. There is freedom in this place. There is hope in this place. There is grace in this place. But the Bible says that you need to reach out to God, that he did everything he can. He's reaching his hand out. You need to reach your hand like a young child does and say, God, I want a relationship with you today. If you repent with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died on a cross for your sins, they placed him in a tomb, they rolled a stone in front, they put a guard in front of it because they heard a rumor that he was going to come back. They tried to keep him dead. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. The stone was rolled away. He walked out of that tomb. 
He showed his hands and his feet and his scars to his followers. He gave them this command before he left. Go everywhere and tell everyone about the love that God has for you through his son, Jesus. He filled them with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered them. 120 people started the church. And it's a force that has not been stopped. And we've worked and we've worked and we've worked together to get to this moment in this place at this time in history so that your life could be changed. Your life can be changed in this moment. All your shame, all your hidden sin, all your guilt, there is no condemnation in this place for those who are going to be found in Christ Jesus. And today you're going to say, instead of my Lord, you're going to say our Lord. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. That my God will become your God today. That my Savior will become your Savior. That my hope and my grace will become your hope and grace. He's here. Love is here. Hope is here. So as our campus passes, our at our other two campuses, and everybody in this place that knows God is just praying right now for our friends. You are a friend of God. You were once called an enemy, but today you are called a friend of God through Jesus. I'm not just going to cross paths with him today and watch him die the death I should have died today. I'm going I'm to follow him. I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to sacrifice my life for him. I need a relationship with Jesus today. I need a relationship with Jesus. If you're in this place, just shoot your hand up in the air and say, you know what, I'm reaching out to Jesus today. I see your hand right here. Is there anybody else say, you know what, I'm laying down my pride. I'm not just bumping into Jesus right now at our, at our Limerick and Phoenixville campus. Just put your hand up high. Put your hand up really high. I see another hand right here. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to give you guys a couple moments because this is what Easter is, is all about in this place. It's what Easter is all about. Is there anybody else say, I'm not going to bump shoulders with Jesus today. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to accept his free gift of salvation. I see another hand. Is there anybody else to say, Pastor, that's me? It's going to give you a couple more moments to let that settle in. I feel like there's a couple more people that you're just about right now to make that decision. You're about to make that decision to follow Christ, that your, your own pride is not going to keep you from the Lord anymore, that you know that you need Jesus. I see another hand over here on my right. I see another hand over here, two hands right here, another hand. Yes, come on, let's clap for them, church. Come on, there's more people. Anybody else in this place? This is your moment. This is your moment. This is just your house that God has made a home for you. The Bible says that he goes and prepares a place, and there's many rooms. That means there's more room for you right now in this moment. That God is still knocking. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me. This is my moment. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to follow him. And he died for me. What else can I do but follow him to give him everything? Just like Peter said, where else are we going to go? Where else am I going to go? I've tried everything else. I've tried to find significance and hope everywhere else, and it all past lead to Jesus right now. Is there anybody else at our other campuses? You say, you know what? That's me, Pastor. That's me, Pastor. That's me, Pastor. Church, would you pray with me all over this place? Jesus, we love you. Well, I thank you for your spirit that's moving in this place, just moving right now. Every penny, every song that was sung, every instrument that was played, every bulletin that was passed out, every car that was parked, Lord, we did this all for this moment right now so that those who were lost and broken could return home to you. Lord, we are much worse than we think we are, but you are much better than we give you credit for. Lord, if our heart is still beating, you still have a plan for us, and we believe, we believe to the core of who we are that you died in our place, the cross that we deserved. You rose from the tomb, and the message is that no matter how great our sin is, that you're greater, that our worst is outdone by your best. And so, Jesus, we thank you for dying for us, and we 
we take that message of salvation and we ask it to be deeply implanted in our heart your love will begin to change us it'll begin to change our motives and our actions and what we live for and what we think about lord and lord i thank you that this is step one this is the beginning of the best days of our lives lord as we follow you with purpose we love you so much jesus we love you so much we thank you that we get to celebrate your tomb is empty every day lord it's what wakes us up in the morning it's what keeps us going in the dark it's what encourages us when we need strength. Lord, your grace and hope and a love that never leaves nor forsakes is here in this moment. And you are changing us forever, Jesus. We love you and we honor you. You're the King of kings. And you're the Lord of lords. And we thank you for being here with us. We thank you for what you did. And all God's children and all over these houses, we say amen. Come on, we got to clap together, church.